share with you something this morning that revolutionized my understanding of the Bible. It is foundational to everything that's written in these pages, and if you can grasp it, it, it will uh, revolutionize how you understand God's Word. As you probably already know, the Bible is divided into two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is that going too fast? Slow down, Gary, okay. There is the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Greek word for testament actually is diatheke, and that word can also be translated covenant. As a matter of fact, I think covenant's a better translation for diatheke. The Bible is a story of two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Okay, so what is a covenant? If it's important enough to divide the Bible in two, then we should know something about covenant, shouldn't we? An understanding of the gospel hinges on this concept, and if you don't understand the covenant, then you don't understand the, the nature of God's relationship with man. Let me give you an example. Psalm 81, verses 6 through 10. God says, he's talking about the uh, slavery in Egypt. Psalm 81, verse 6. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you in the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. Verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Let's pray. Father, open our mouths and our minds and our hearts to receive fully what you want to teach us today. So often we don't understand the relationship you desire to have with us and it leaves us powerless and faithless and hopeless. So clear up those misunderstandings and help us to appropriate fully who you are and what you want with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What is that an analogy of? What's he referring to? How, how can God say this? What is Israel's hold on God and God's hold on Israel that he would say to them, open your mouth wide and I will fill it? It's the image of, what's that an image of? It's the image of a baby bird, isn't it? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What does a baby bird look like? Have you ever looked in a nest and seen a baby? It's a scraggly piece of flesh with a big open beak waiting for mom to bring a tasty morsel to drop in it. How in the world is Israel like a baby bird to God and how is God like a mother bird to Israel? What is the nature of that relationship? To learn this, you have to understand the nature of the Old Covenant, which is basically the Old Testament. Let's start at the beginning. The Hebrew word for covenant 
originally meant to cut. So you cut a covenant. In Old Testament times, and we have records of people entering into covenant relationships together, two parties would come together and forge a covenant, and when they did so, they would cut their bodies in some minor way to allow blood to flow and intermingle as a sign of the promise and pledge they were making to each other. Years ago, Indians had something called blood brothers. Do you remember that story where they cut their wrist and put them together and the blood flowed? Today, the closest thing we have to a covenant is marriage, where two people become one. Everything I have is yours. Everything you have is yours, um, or mine. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, thank you, sister. <laughs> there are certain steps involved when two people came and cut a covenant in the Old Testament times. First of all, they would exchange their coats and weapons. When you exchange your coat and weapon with another person, you were symbolizing everything I have that's wrapped up in this coat, I'm giving to you. Everything you have, you're giving to me. My weapons, I present to you. Your weapons, you present to me. My defenses are down. I am vulnerable. Everything I have, we interchange and we hold in common. There is usually an exchange of names. A, por a portion of my name is attached to you. A portion of your name is attached to me so that when people hear our names in public, they will know that I'm no longer just an individual, but I am in a relationship, a covenant relationship with somebody else. Usually when a covenant is cut, there is a blood cutting. There is flesh that is cut which, where blood flows and it intermingles and it leaves a scar somewhere on the body, and, and that scar would be a reminder for all time that, you know what, I'm not just Wayne Rowe anymore. I am in a covenant relationship with this person, and he is in a relationship with me, and we are, we represent each other. Then there would be blessings and curses. Blessings if you uphold your end of the covenant, curses if you do not. And the same with me. Then they would often set up a memorial, like a pile of stones. There are a lot of stories in the Old Testament where a pile of stones are set up as memorials so that when people saw that pile of stones, they would ask what it represented, and people could say, this represents a covenant relationship that these two individuals had, and it still exists. It doesn't ever cease to exist. It continues for all time. Then oftentimes the two parties would sit down to a covenant meal, which symbolized the body that was broken. Oftentimes the, the Hebrews used sacrificial animals for the cutting of the body and, and the blood that was shed and, and that covenant meal would, would be a reminder of that. Well, what does this have to do with us? Well, friends, believe it or not, God Almighty, listen to me, God Almighty entered into just such a relationship with the human race. It's found in Genesis 15. I'm going to flip over to that for the other portion of our scripture reading this morning. Maybe you've read this passage occasionally, but never really understood or knew everything that was transpiring. I'll tell you what's happening here. God is cutting a covenant with man. Let me read, I'm going to start uh, chapter 15 and just do verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. God says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then over to verse 7. 
God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Abraham said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a she-goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these, cut them in two, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. When the birds of prey came down upon the carcass, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. See, God is entering into a covenant with Abraham, but Abraham is not able to enter into a covenant with God. So God put Abraham to sleep. And God entered into both halves of the covenant on Abraham's behalf. Lo, a dread darkness fell upon him. The Lord said to Abraham, Know of a surety that your descendants will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be slaves there, and they will be oppressed for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation which they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17, listen to this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. You remember the pieces of the animals that were cut in half and set across from each other? That flaming pot and, and that torch in a figure eight would pass between those two pieces of those sacrificial animals, and God is entering into a covenant with Abraham. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's a bunch of ites, isn't it? But the point is, God gave all that promised land to Abraham when he cut the covenant with him. Okay, let's go back and look at those verses and see what's happening here. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1, God gives Abraham his shield. The covenant begins. His coat and shield, everything God has, he's giving to Abraham. Verses 9 and 10, the animals are split and the covenant begins. Verse 12, God puts Abraham to sleep, performs his part for him. Verse 17, it's not between two equals. That would be blasphemous. It's between Almighty God and lowly man. God did it all. What's the mark of, on the flesh? The sign of the covenant for the children of Israel. Circumcision. That's why it was so important to them as a sign of the covenant. Now this is really interesting. What about the exchange of names? Signifying that God and Israel are in a covenant together. Well, in the Old Testament, the name of God is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. They didn't have vowels in the Hebrew. We added those for pronunciation purposes. What's the predominant letter of God's name, Y-H-W-H? H. The predominant letter is H. And at this point, Abram's name becomes Abraham with an H. Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, becomes Sarah with an H. God is incorporating a letter from his name into the names of Abraham and Sarai so that anybody who looks at them knows that they are in a covenant relationship with Yahweh. 
Then there are the blessings and the curses. All you got to do is read Deuteronomy and Leviticus to find out those. Blessings, if you live up to the covenant, if you do what I ask you to do, if you fulfill those obligations, curses if you forsake it. And then a memorial of the covenant. What's the memorial of the covenant in the Old Testament? Instead of a pile of stones, it's called the ark. The ark of what? The ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant symbolized the presence of God among his people. The top of the covenant, the top of the ark was called the mercy seat. It was perceived to be where God sat among them. And they carried that ark carefully with them wherever they went because that symbolized that they were in a covenant relationship with God and everywhere they went, God went. They took that ark before them into battle and when they did so, they were victorious because any nation that touched Israel was not just touching Israel, they were touching God Almighty and God would work to vindicate his name and to protect the covenant that he was in with Israel. This is earth shattering. The children of Israel became one with God. God entered into a covenant with them and all that they had and ever hoped to be henceforth belonged to God and everything that God had, his riches, his power, his strength, his shield, his resources were at the beck and call of Israel. The two became one. Everything that Israel would ever need God covenanted with them to provide. You see what that means? There's another important concept before we can go on. That's the concept of the covenant head. When God cut the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, he wasn't just cutting it with Abraham, but he was also cutting it with every descendant that Abraham would ever had because Abraham was the representative of all his descendants. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the 12 tribes of Israel, all the children of Israel were there when Abraham covenanted in a relationship with God. It's like a pyramid, and here's Abraham at the top, and all of his descendants fall under that same covenant relationship with God that Abraham cut, or that God cut on his behalf that night in Genesis 15. He was the, he was the head of this pyramid that encompassed the great nation of Israel. As their representative head, they fell under the same covenant relationship with God that their forefather did. That's why in Psalm 81, all Israel had to do was sit back and open their mouths wide, admit their need, and let God fill it. He was under obligation to treat them with the love of a mother bird for its babies. All Israel had to do was believe it and receive it and say thank you. Anyone touching Israel was touching God. In return, all Israel had to do was remain faithful to God, to adhere to the covenant, to receive its blessings. I hope you can begin to understand some of the stories now in the Old Covenant we call the Old Testament. God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. God has a right to do that. Why? Because Isaac belongs to God. Everything Abraham has belongs to God. Everything God has belongs to Abraham. It'd be like you and I entering into a covenant relationship together and me asking you for your checkbook. 
and you asking me for mine. Good luck. All that I have belongs to you. All that you have belongs to me. Now let's move ahead to Egypt. The children of Israel are enslaved for 400 years. It was that long before somebody named Moses came along who remembered that these people who are enslaved are in a covenant relationship with God. And Moses cried out to God and said, why are you letting your people suffer like this in slavery? Aren't you in a covenant relationship with them? And as soon as Moses cried out to God, what does God say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. All Israel had to do was admit their need and quit struggling and call upon God on the basis of the covenant. And the result was that God smashed Egypt to be faithful to the covenant he had with the children of Israel. And so here goes Moses, and he's leading two million helpless former slaves out into the desert with no food and no water. Crazy, isn't it? Unless you understand the covenant, because Moses had learned how to depend on God and open his mouth and allow God to fill it, and so God filled two million baby bird mouths with manna during the day and with water when they needed it and with a, a, a pillar of fire to lead them at night. He was their shield and their protection provided by God when they were attacked by foreign armies. All Moses had to do was raise his arms up in desperation and look to God and say, God, these are your people down here under attack. We're in a covenant with you. And as long as they look to God, God provided for them and granted them victory. Now the story of David and Goliath begins to make a little sense. Goliath comes out and he taunts the armies of Israel. And finally, one person, a shepherd boy named David, understands the nature of the covenant relationship that God had with Israel. So Goliath isn't just taunting Israel. Goliath is, in effect, taunting God. And David goes out and he takes a stand with God by his side. Now you can begin to feel sorry for Goliath because it was not a fair fight from the beginning. Because when Goliath touched Israel, Goliath was touching God. David knew that. David said, God's not going to let this happen. And David and Goliath fought and God honored his covenant. That's the only way that sinful man can ever hope to have any claim on God. God took the initiative. He entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. We're told about it in the Old Covenant, which we refer to as the Old Testament. God supplied their need. Israel just learned, had to learn how to be weak, helpless birds, and God would provide for them. And Israel was happy with that for a while. But then you read the prophets and you see how Israel begins to forsake the covenant. And the curses begin to fall upon them. And God moved on. Almighty God, because Israel forsook the old covenant, Almighty God cut a new covenant with man. And it's called the New Testament. It is so fantastic so much better than the Old Covenant, it's hard to believe. We find it in the pages of the New Testament, and if you look 
specifically in the New Testament book of Hebrews, you'll find most of it is a comparison of the New Covenant with the Old Covenant. And you'll find repeated throughout Hebrews that the New Covenant is better. It has better priests. It has better promises. It just gets better and better. The New Covenant, as good as the Old Covenant was, the New Covenant is even better. And Hebrews compares and contrasts the two. Instead of a sacrificial animal, whom did God send to cut the new covenant with? He sent Jesus. Jesus was the Lamb of God that was split and his blood was spilt to form the covenant. What became the covenant meal? The Lord's Supper. Jesus took the Passover meal and made it a covenant meal to commemorate the covenant that he was about to cut for mankind on the cross. And Jesus made the covenant possible between holy God and sinful man. And if you can believe it, then just open your mouth wide and God will fill it. Through his one act of mercy on the cross, God cut a covenant with us and gave us the opportunity to be in a covenant relationship with him and the response is up to us. We have to come to God and admit our need and allow him to fill it and say thank you and receive it. Are you facing temptation? Cry out to God. You don't have to fight it alone. Remind yourself that if you are a child of God, through your faith in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins and he's your Lord and Savior, then you are in a covenant relationship with the creator of the universe and you don't have to handle your problem alone because you aren't alone. Let your weakness simply become a container for God's strength. Quit struggling. Stop being like a silly baby bird that refuses food from its mother. Open your mouth wide and God will fill it. How do we do that? We need to trust and wait on God and be faithful to the covenant, upholding our end of the bargain. The Christian life is primarily that of expectant waiting. God has covenanted with us through Jesus Christ to act, and you can be sure that he will be true to his word. Anytime anybody breaks a covenant, it's not God who does it, it's man. If we will learn to wait on him and trust him with a worshipful attitude, God will prove that he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do and he is willing to because of the covenant that we have with him through Jesus Christ. And if he, if he does all that and he will, then he deserves our love and he deserves our worship. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's it. Just wait and trust and worship. Admit your need and open your mouth wide and let God fill it and say thank you, Lord, while you're waiting in humility. Remember, He is our sovereign God. And this is no ordinary covenant between two equals. They had covenants in Old Testament times between two equals, but this is, this is nothing like that. This is a covenant between Almighty God and sinful man, which he entered into for our, on our behalf, he ordained and established it solely through grace. 
He guarantees its validity. But remember in a covenant, we have to hold up our end of the bargain. If we are to be his people and receive his blessings rather than his curses, then we need to be faithful to the covenant that he has cut with us through Jesus Christ. Once we understand the nature of this covenant that God has offered to us, we just need to humble ourselves enough to admit our need and receive his help. And, and please hear me, I'm not advocating here a simple name it and claim it theology, but I am saying that the Bible contains a written record of two covenants between God and man. The old covenant formed with Abraham as the covenant head for the children of Israel and the new covenant provided for anyone who will believe through Jesus' death on the cross. Almighty God determined the conditions, but through his grace and mercy, he has offered us a covenant. He has extended his limitless resources to us. Even more importantly, he has offered us himself. But you've got to humble yourself and admit your need and open your mouth wide and receive him and say, thank you, God. And you can be in a covenant relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And I don't know of anything more powerful to say to you today than that. Shall we pray? Father, we read about the covenant you had with Israel and the benefits that were theirs, but how they eventually forsook it and went after foreign gods and relinquished the covenant. And so you cut a new one with all mankind through Jesus' death on the cross. The covenant meals, the Lord's Supper, the blessings are those who will be your children and worship you and respond in love. Help us, Father, to act like we're in a covenant relationship with the creator of the universe. And we don't have to be hopeless and helpless. When people attack us, they're attacking you. When people bless us, they're blessing you because you have covenanted with us to be our Lord and Savior. Father, help us to live in light of this truth and wait on you. Not that all of our problems will go away, but we'll have someone to help shoulder the load and show us a way out. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray, amen. I have decided to follow Jesus as number 305 in your hymnals. If you have a profession of faith to make public in, in a relationship with this God who has willingly given himself and covenanted with us, perhaps you made a profession of faith in Bible school this week as a child. Maybe you need to uh, join our church, moving your letter, um, coming forward and rededicating your life, whatever decision, I'll be at the front. Let's stand together and sing 305, I have decided to follow Jesus. You come.